and was only suitable for people aged 18 or over will almost certainly have an adult theme and might well contain sex or violence which are quite graphic. It may also contain explicit language, including sexual swear words. Thanks for listening. Uh, but here's what his revelation comes to him. He's kind of got all this stuff, like, uh, touching, wiping, mourning of the animals. Not wiping, whipping. whipping. Yeah. <laughs> also, yeah, not touch, also not touching. I am, I am dyslexic. I, I hope I'm not having like, a stroke. Do it live! Fuck it! Do it live! And an atheist almost always become supporters of eugenics and abortion. A swine is hungry for nuts. Jesus hates them too. Satan is real. Being a Satanist is an open declaration of revolt against counterproductive received wisdom and mindless rogue traditions. Decapitate her head off. We're done. Done. We're done. Obama! Welcome to the Godless Revolution. I'm Dan Ellis, one of the hosts. And I'm Matt Dillahunty. <laughs> no, you're not. <laughs> you're you're Matt I'm, Mitchell, uh, and I'm Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> no, you're not either. I play Deadpool. There. What other what are, what famous Dans are there? Dan Dan Marino? Aykroyd. Dan Marino. Oh, Jesus, you guys both went to like the '80s. <laughs> well, come on, Dan Aykroyd. There's there's a Dan yeah. Ellis who is an actual famous hockey player. As there's, far as famous hockey there's players, there's a Dane go. Cook. Fuck that guy. <laughs> <laughs> there is a famous Ryan Duffy. You might know. Who's that? One of the contributors for Vice News. He does a lot of the correspondence overseas. Oh, I think that I've noticed that during the the Vice yeah. HBO yep. news thing that they're doing. I think he did the whole uh, Syria and uh, who's con- ISIS piece. Who's a, who's a famous contemporary, Dan? Daniel Radcliffe. There we go. Yeah, but that's Daniel. But he uh-huh. probably goes by Dan with his friends. I'm not named Daniel. I'm Danny on my birth certificate. Okay, well. So I don't know. I can't. I guess that's just an older name. Oh. I mean, if you were to go by Daniel, we could have went with Daniel Day Lewis. That's old too. Stay alive, he still no matter what occurs. He's still contemporary in movies. Yeah, I guess so. Huh? Dan, Dan, Dan. I'll have to Dan, give that Dan, some Dan. thought. Hmm. There are no people are screaming at the, their iPods right now. Probably. Oh yeah, listing all kinds of famous Dans that we're not hmm. able to think of right now. Danny Crack Corn and I don't care. Sure. Isn't that Jimmy? No, we changed it. Oh. Gotta have somebody famous. <laughs> I'll think of one. So on tonight's episode, we are going to be pretty much just exclusively setting aside a large chunk of time and hope that Mr. Matt Dillahunty will be able to spend that large time chunk of us. time with us. I'd be happy to. Yeah, I, I haven't really <laughs> planned on anything else. I just wanted to do, yeah. to do the interview with him uh, for as long as he can stick around and chat with us. Hopefully he isn't planning on just a half an hour or 20 minutes or something. I know he's a busy guy, but I'd like to have him on for as long as he can stay and just yeah. talk about all kinds of shit. I want to talk about his debate, uh, what he thinks about various atheist topics and philosophies, you know, what he likes doing, what types mm. of debates, all that kind of stuff. And we've got a lot of listener questions, questions that were sent in that we wanted to ask him as well. So, And this is a talky talk show, so it's good to talk. So hopefully he'll be able to stick around. Um... Glad that you're here this week, Matt. Thanks. We missed you a lot last week. Oh, thanks. Yeah. I thought about you guys, but I was busy. Sexually or non-sexually? Always sexually. I no. thought so. Liar. <laughs> <laughs> isn't, isn't that the right answer? Isn't that what men my age say? That's yes. all, Well, yeah, that's what well, they always say. But about other. 
Not necessarily. (laughs) (laughs) Grant was on last week. That was a whole lot of fun. Um, But I know you're super busy with school and shit. Yeah. We may we may miss you on a on a couple episodes. I will undoubtedly the, miss some more episodes coming up. Yeah, he's. What are you doing? Why are Why will you be missing some episodes? I am currently in an eight week EMT course. Ooh. Mm-hmm. It's empty. Yeah, it is. It is empty. Making your life empty. Making my life full, man. Full <laughs> of book. Full, full of, of book and <laughs> full of book. God, big full Latin full words. Of textbook. I know when yeah. you were lo- when you first got the book, or Ryan gave you yeah, whatever book, book to yeah. help prepare for the class or whatever. Uh huh. And you were flipping through, looking at different pictures and shit. I never thought that I was squeamish around blood or any kind of bullshit like that. Thanks to like the evisceration. Yeah, and until people you, disemboweled. Yeah, and and realizing shit. If I were to go into that line of work, I would be dealing with that kind of stuff on. At least a semi-regular basis. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm going to be seeing some hairy, gross shit, and I'm glad I work in computers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, computers don't have eyes you can stick pencils uh, into. Yeah, a computer falls off of a building, and it's just you bring out uh-huh. a broom and sweep it up. And same with well, people. <laughs> same, I was going to say same with people. Like I've had plenty of times where I've just taken a little hose and sprayed yeah, off just, some concrete or thrown some powder <laughs> down on it and swept up. Chunks. <laughs> Bring a shovel, though. <laughs> I think it's awesome that you're doing that, though. That's that's very cool. Yeah, we sound callous as we're talking about it, but uh, you got to be a little bit. You have to. Yeah, you have. To. But the intention, the intention is obviously, like you know, the if Hippocratic I oath. Yeah, to help people. I mean, you know, doctors will say that. You know, they get into it not for the money, but to help people. Now, fuck you. You'd be an EMT if you wanted to help people and didn't want the money. You're a doctor because you want the money. <laughs> don't fucking lie about it well and yeah i mean there's the helping the peoples and the stuff and deals which is awesome i just i i i help people with their computer problems which might <laughs> if they don't get it fixed would lead to us having to come see them because yeah. they'd throw them around and they'd bash their head into it or something and cut themselves up like oh shit i shouldn't have smashed my head to my computer screen now i need to call the emt to yeah, take me to the hospital. Get this forehead stitched back together. <laughs> or if they're like me and they're so frustrated with software all the time that they get tachycardic and start to hyperventilate. Look at you learning all these big fancy <laughs> medical <laughs> terms. And the more I, the more I discuss them and can can force them into conversations, the, the better committed to memory they're going to be. So, so, well, good. No, I think it's awesome that you're doing that. Thanks, I, man. I'm very excited to see how that all goes and. Then your schedule is going to be all fucky like Ryan's. Yeah, I know. Yeah. You guys will be having competing fucked schedules. Ah, fuck schedules. I love fucked schedules. Especially at first Boy, because I'm guy. not going to have any like- uh, Seniority. Yeah, or time to take off or anything available. I'll just have to work yeah. whatever they give me. Well, shall we get to the interview? Let's do this shit. Here follows a public service announcement for the Two Skeptical Chaps podcast. <laughs> Greetings, Americans. Over here in London, we are well aware that not all of you are loud, xenophobic, racist, sexist, religious nuts. But many of your politicians who display these frightful traits seem to be quite popular. Particularly a certain wall-obsessed, small-handed, best-word-using, daughter-perving, war-inciting, candy-floss-headed clown. 
To those of you who choose to follow such balderdash, we strongly recommend not to listen to the two sceptical chaps. It probably won't be your cup of tea. Otherwise, give us a listen. Each episode, we cover any news or current affairs from across the globe. Things that annoy or delight us. That's two, as in the number two. And sceptical with a K. The wrong way to spell it. Cheerio! And we're very excited to have Matt Dillahunty with us, uh, joining us via Skype. You may know Matt as an avid gamer, a fantastic public speaker, a brilliant debater, an amazing magician, host of the Atheist Experience Show for more than a decade, Iron Chariots founder and contributor, all-around great guy who does a lot of amazing things within the atheist community. How's it going, Matt? Wow, it's going pretty good. Thanks for having me on. (laughs) We're delighted that you could join us tonight. Uh, In studio, uh, there's myself, Dan Ellis. We've got Matt Mitchell. Yeah, I'm here too. So we've got two Matts. It's always confusing. And Orion Duffy. Yay. Hey, guys. Uh, before we started uh, the actual interview here, you were saying that you just got back from vacation? Yeah, we went to, uh, drove from Austin to Gulf Shores to spend uh, about three days with my wife's uh, father and stepmother. Uh, and that was um, kind of amazing because we drove Friday night from Austin to Gulf Shores, which means we drove through Louisiana oh. at the, some of the worst of the rain to where I was, you know, able to drive maybe 35 miles an hour on the freeway. So the 10 and a half hour drive turned into about a 13 hour drive. Mm. And then we spent a few days at Gulf Shores. We thought we were going to get rained out, but the weather was nice. We had a lot of fun. And then we drove back and the interstates were closed and we took, you know, a two and a half hour detour through back roads in Louisiana. Some of those, you know, I'd, I'd follow my GPS to, to find a way around. And then I'd end up facing a sign that was like, you know, road closed and okay, let's mm. find yet <laughs> another route to try to get through. Um, and actually somebody contacted me on Facebook today, uh, an atheist who lost everything in the flood in Louisiana this week. And he has, uh, started a, a GoFundMe that I'm going to promote a little later. Oh, wow. Well, that's awfully nice of you. We wanted to have you on here to talk about all kinds of things. I uh, fielded some questions from some of our listeners, uh, some of the other atheists here in Utah, and we wanted to talk to you about your most recent debate with Blake Junta. Um, how do you how do you think that went? Oh, see, I'm never the person to ask. I mean, <laughs> I'm happy to do a debate review, and I'm going to do a little bit of that probably tomorrow. Um, I, for the first time ever, I'm actually going to do a debate review with the person who I debated. So uh, I I think the quick view of it, um, I don't look at debates as like win-lose things because I I understand that people walk out, most of them are going to walk out believing exactly what they walked in believing. Mm -hmm. There are exceptions, and this debate was uh, a rare exception. As I was getting ready to leave, um, I was walking out the door to do an interview. There's a guy who walked up to me and said he'd been a Christian for more than a decade um, and had recently been having arguments with, I guess, his brother-in-law, and they came to the debate, and he left the debate as an atheist. So Hmm. I'll say that no matter what else happened, I'm happy with the outcome of the debate. Yeah, I heard you mention that on Dogma Debate uh, when you were talking to David about it, and you said that uh, you're not entirely sure what it was that uh, you said convinced this person and that you'd really like to know because you don't want them 
yeah. you, you still don't want them believing in 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 something for a bad reason. Yeah, if they, you know, I've met people who are almost almost wholly irrational. They they they're just not adept at thinking through things. And so what ends up happening is they'll buy into something, doesn't matter what it is, religion, woo, you know, superstition mm-hmm. for bad reasons. And then they'll get out of it or move on to something else for bad reasons as well. And so I'm really interested to find out, you know, what it was. Was this like, you know, the last straw? Did I make a particularly compelling case? Uh, or you know, who knows what it is? And so without talking to the person, I can't, you know, really say too much. I'm, I'm, I would ha- I'd be happy with pe- for people to hold reasonable positions, even if they're slightly confused about why, than to hold unreasonable <laughs> positions <laughs> but i i think i'd really love to know what it was uh if there was something specific that kind of changed his perspective on this it would be nice to have that arrow in your quiver that you know that this particular argument is pretty effective for you know at least a, a certain demographic of people i'm sure but yeah it's it's a, there's a lot to it i mean i'm hoping to get to some of it tomorrow with blake because you know honestly i his argument for the resurrection really wasn't an argument for the resurrection. It was, Hey, Fred is reliable and that's good enough for us to accept what Fred says, because Fred tells us the author of Luke acts, Mm -hmm. uh, the author of Luke acts tells us that the apostles were very quickly after Jesus's death saying that he had just appeared and visited with them. And that that should be good enough to convince anybody that it actually happened. Because the best explanation for why they would claim this is that it actually happened. And I, I there's a couple of layers of obfuscation here where not only do we not know the author, which is why we can call him Fred, um, <laughs> we can go back and look and, and get various you know information to say that maybe these were people who existed and said this. And that still doesn't tell us what actually happened. Um, yeah. You, know, you might be able to use his argument for uh, non-extraordinary claims. You know, hey, there's this author who wrote these firsthand accounts, or he, he talked to eyewitnesses, and they all said that, uh, you know, the king's wife uh, jumped off the tower that day. And you might might be able to reasonably conclude that the best explanation for why they would say that is that it actually happened. Mm-hmm. But the only reason you can do that is because we know people have jumped off towers. We know human beings have committed suicide. And so that enters the realm of what could be a plausible explanation. Right. When you start talking about something like the resurrection, we have no evidence of that sort of thing ever happening. We don't have no reason to think it's plausible as an explanation. We can't even say that it's possible. Mm-hmm. So I don't know how you can say that the best explanation for the facts, uh, if in fact they are facts, which is still debatable, ah, uh, but, is a resurrection. But see, he's got a he's got a very in depth and lengthy Bayesian explanation that he can't go into, though. That'll t- talk about all of that <laughs> and cover all that stuff. I I'm so sick to death of everything Bayesian. I don't care if it comes from Blake or, or Richard Carrier. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It did it did seem weird to me that. He spent so much time just trying to set up the punchline. You know, he he tried to he tried to let everybody know that well we have all of these other things that this person has said that we can reasonably assume to be true, 
but that still got him nowhere as far as the claim for the resurrection yeah. of Christ. And I know that typically when you do a debate, you you try to prepare the best case for your opposition, right? So yeah, well, I don't necessarily look to who I'm debating, although sometimes it helps. Early on when I was debating, I didn't even want to know who I was debating. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to know any specifics uh-huh. because I was afraid I would tailor arguments for the person rather than arguments about the topic. Um, now I'm okay with, you know, knowing who I'm debating. Um, what I put together, you know, basically was a description of the argument from incredulity fallacy, which I, I just called it Doyle's fallacy to begin with, mm. talked about how people have traditionally argued for the resurrection, offered, you know, uh, counters and, um, and arguments against all that, and then talked about the absurdity of the gospel accounts. And Blake seems to think that I was trying, I, I expected him to come with all the gospel accounts. I had, had no idea what to expect, but I do know that if you're going to talk about the resurrection of Jesus, and now he didn't go anywhere near the gospels other than pointing to the author of mm-hmm. Luke and Acts, um, but the story is there in the gospels. And it seems bizarre for someone to not only not mention the gospels, um, but to avoid mentioning the gospels specifically so they can say, I didn't even have to mention the gospels. Mm. <laughs> well, you know, the things that you mentioned don't have any clear, you know, claims about the resurrection and yet the gospels do, and they are a mess. I mean, yeah, it's an embarrassing yeah. mess. Yeah. You seem to be doing more of an ancient history class to claim that these people were believable in their stories in the Bible. Yeah. This person's reliable. Cool. I don't care that they're reliable about mundane things. Yeah. I care about what I don't care. They could be the most reliable. They could be, they could have been an eyewitness mm-hmm. who has never told a lie and written down specifically. I verified myself that Jesus died and had, you know, no breathing, no heartbeat. I even borrowed a brain scanner from a time Lord and verified that he was brain dead. And three days later, I came back and the tomb was empty. And a day later, he appeared to me. And that still does not confirm a resurrection. Yeah. Because he could be wrong even if he's telling the truth. Right. Right. And and how often are eyewitnesses to crimes reliable, even mo- Never. moments after the, the crimes happen? I know. Um, yeah. I just I want to clear just to make sure for everybody that the three of us that are in the studio do have a favorable opinion of Blake. And we're just we just we're critiquing his argument, not him personally or anything like that. Uh, we're well, not yeah. we're not always so charitable. He's, he's coming down to my house tomorrow to, to shoot more videos. Blake and I get along. And I genuinely like him. I, you know, yes, yeah. I think the worst part of his uh, entire debate was not the case that he made, although I think it was a, a weak case for a resurrection. It was more of a. Hey, do we have good reason to think that there were people who claimed that there was a resurrection? I think he made a good case for that. Um, but the the weakest thing was the closing argument. And I was sitting right next to him, and he starts presenting this closing that's all about methodological naturalism. And in the days following the debate, he tried to claim that I had some sort of Dunning-Kruger about the limits of history and, and a bias towards methodological naturalism. But as he's giving his closing remarks, I realized he has just presented something entirely new in his closing, and that's going to that's going to tick some people off. It doesn't mm-hmm. bother me all that much because I, I was already convinced, you know, of of how I had done in the debate. 
But I realized not once during his closing had he bothered to mention the subject of the debate. And so I grabbed my notepad and I wrote down, you should probably mention the resurrection in your closing. And I slid it to him. You can watch it on the video. Just as he wrapped up his closing. And then now he's done and he reads my note and he realizes that he didn't mention the subject of the debate or anything summarizing his arguments or nothing mm-hmm. in his closing. And from, you know, irrespective of who's right or anything else, that is a horrible mistake to make yeah. in a debate. Yeah, yeah, I, I, did, I did actually notice that. I noticed you writing something and then I think you mentioned that on Dogma Debate when, when you were talking to David after the debate. Um, yeah. what, what would you present? I mean, if you had to argue for Blake's position, what, what do you think the strongest argument for the resurrection is? Do you think there, do you think there is a, a better argument to be made than the one he tried to present? Well, I don't think that so much that it's a better argument. I think that his argument for it was full of a lot of distractions. Uh, I think he went into great detail on, you know, trade wins and shipping routes and yeah. things <laughs> in order to basically claim that the author of Lukacs is reliable and seeks out first-person accounts. Um, I think I would have just conceded, you know, if we were in a courtroom, uh, you know, and, and they start presenting this long, boring line of evidence, um, the lawyers can just, you know, we'll, con- we'll stipulate to the fact. And so I think I would go ahead and have, you know, we could have shortened up his opening to a, a minute and a half, and I would have stipulated that the author of Luke's Acts is generally reliable and tended to use first-hand accounts and then get into the specifics of those first-hand accounts, get into, get into, you know, the elements of the story that are in the gospel. When, when apologists like Gary Habermas defend the resurrection, they tend to go with the minimal facts approach. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Blake avoided that because of, maybe, maybe I'm just guessing uh, because I had just done a video on all the problems with the minimal facts approach. Um, and I had sent it to him, uh, ahead of time. I don't, tend to share like my whole opening or anything, but he sent me a question he was going to ask me just so, you know, he, I wouldn't feel sideswiped or foul play, cry foul play. And I sent him, you know, my video on minimal facts just in case he was going that route. I think when, when, when somebody says, Hey, what's the best argument for this? Man, that's, that's the most difficult question for me because I could definitely <laughs> say that, you know, like, um, the Kalam cosmological argument is certainly better than uh, because my uncle Bill told me <laughs> as far as, you know, good reasons for God. Um, when it comes to the resurrection, I think going through the details of of these reports and getting as specific as you can about the facts of this and looking at, okay, what are the possible explanations is is probably as good as you can get. The big problem here is uh, I see no justification for claiming that because we don't know what happened, we're somehow justified in, in, in claiming that the resurrection was likely. How do you – so if we, use, if we use like leprechauns as an analog um, to God, uh, mythical creatures, my simple brain wants to s- stop me from – getting into these debates because like, you know, how are we going to talk about what preferences leprechauns have when we haven't even established that 
there is such a thing, right? And so talking about uh, the resurrection presumes a resurrecting God of some type. And my brain just goes, well, resurrections just don't happen. So it's hard for me to kind of get in any deeper than that. How do you prepare uh, for debates like this to get underneath the superficial layers and, and debate a theist on some of those terms? Yeah. So this is actually one of my favorite aspects of this topic. And it's something I hope Blake and I get a chance to discuss because it is it is not impossible that someone could be raised from the dead um, by natural means that we're unaware of. That's one possibility. By supernatural means that don't necessarily involve a god. Maybe there's, you know, some trans-dimensional karmic force that has determined this person has died, you know, inappropriately. You know, the, the fact of a resurrection is separate from the cause of a resurrection. Mm-hmm. So there's several different layers of this. Number one, was this person dead and are, did they, were they alive at some point after they had died? That's, that's the first question. The second one is when we say that this person was dead and they rose again, are we talking about, you know, like dead, dead? Because, because death isn't, uh, it's kind of a process and it's ill-defined. I mean, people rise from the dead every day on operating tables if you want to define death in that way. And I was going to, in my opening, talk a little bit about, you know, the definitions of death. Um, and then I realized it was probably not going to actually address anything Blake was likely to say. So I just scrapped it. So the, the question number one is, was the person dead? Were they then alive after they were dead? Question number two is, is this, are the particulars of this case such, so, so significant that we would call this a resurrection rather than a resuscitation? And if in fact we have determined that they were dead and alive and that it was more likely that this was a resurrection than a resuscitation, then we have the next question of how did this resurrection come about? And even if you could show that somebody died and came back and that it was more you know, more akin to a resurrection than a resuscitation, you still don't have an explanation for why. Hmm. And that's where they'll go leaping to, well, you know, the best explanation is that God did it. But they can't even show, they can't even show, first of all, that that Jesus existed. I mean, Hmm. it's a presumption generally by most historians, Hmm. and it is only a fringe group that claims that he didn't exist or likely didn't exist. But they can't show it. Then they can't show with any sort of, I mean, if you can't show that the person was alive, you're going to have a hell of a time showing that they were uh, dead and then alive after they were dead. You can't, you're going to have an impossible task of demonstrating that this is more like a resurrection than a resuscitation. But even if we granted him everything, even if we said Jesus lived, he was, you know, killed by Pontius Pilate, he was hung up on a cross and taken down on the same day, which is already bizarre as it took days to die right. uh, in crucifixion. But he was taken down dead, buried, and we'll even say it was three days later, even though it was more like a day and a half later. Yeah. Um, he was up and walking around, the tomb was empty, and he was talking to people. We don't know, if we could demonstrate that all of that happened, we still don't know why. Now, there are mm-hmm. people who will ask what you asked, which is, how can we even have a conversation about this? before we know, before we've established whether or not there's a God. And, and the answer is, we can debate any of those facts. We could debate whether or not he existed, we could debate whether or not he died, whether or not he was alive after he died, whether or not it was a resuscitation or a resurrection. 
with and and then reach the conclusion, for example, that Jesus lived, died, and was resurrected, but we don't know why. That that is mm. a possible, although I think incredibly unlikely. Yeah, yeah. It, it's it's at least a possible conclusion, and I think when you pick a topic like you know, did Jesus rise from the dead, and all you present is hey, there's these stories, and they're supposedly from eyewitnesses, and we have pretty good reason to think they might be from eyewitnesses. Um, I don't think you've established really any of the facts. Well, and, and something that you just mentioned while you, were, while you were speaking was the fact that, you know, he's purported to have been dead for three days. And I know Matt and Ryan both have a little bit of medical training. What, what kinds of things would happen to a body that <laughs> has no oxygen, no blood flow, for in first days. century Jerusalem, it yeah, would yeah. already started rotting. <laughs> oh, but yeah. yeah, you'd have you've had you'd have advanced necrosis and uh, all kinds of decay going on. Well, especially when it's not in a cooled atmosphere. If it's warm out, and that's going to speed up the decaying of the body. And I mean, it'd be a nasty mess. After about eight yeah. or ten minutes, you have permanent brain damage without oxygen, and so I think one of my one of the more interesting things, you know, I say that it would have been good to go to the gospels there's a reason why i dug into the gospels pretty deep in pretty much pretty good detail to show all the contradictions and that is you can't make a case for any of this if the authors who are presenting the information are unreliable Mm -hmm. and by showing that all of the gospels are unreliable that includes luke's luke and it would include include acts then because the luke and acts author are the same uh, you know, generally considered, and that's Blake's argument. Mm-hmm. And so it, it's kind of this, um, you know, we're 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 questioning the reliability reliability of the reporters. And even though Blake didn't go anywhere near the Gospels, by exposing the flaws in the Gospels, it explode it exposes the the flaws in his other thing. Well, yeah, and and the Gospels all contradict each other so much. You would you would expect that if you know these these are gospels that are handed down from God and and are you know supposed to be first-hand eyewitness accounts that they would all agree with each other more than they disagree but they're but the contradictions are so wide-ranging and so numerous that just pointing them out yeah lend, lends to the notion that you can't rely on any of them yeah i was really hoping he would at least use the gospels a little because there were things i didn't even get to mention like you know the Let's go back a little before the resurrection to where Matthew's gospel has uh, the dead rising and marching on Jerusalem. I mean, that's something somebody would have written down, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And what makes, you know, what makes that so much different from, you know, if, if all of the people in the graveyard can get up and walk around, why is it so miraculous that one person could have done that? And Lazarus and, you know. Yeah. Yeah. What makes, what makes the resurrection of Christ so particularly compelling and important that at that point yeah yeah i would expect tomorrow i mean i'm going to try i may do two whole videos out of this my goal for the atheist debates project is to do three videos a month one of them is the debate um there's a part of me that doesn't want to have all three videos for a single month be me and blake just because if somebody one of my patrons doesn't really like blake they might uh might run for the hills uh but i think you know at a minimum the topics are important enough. Mm -hmm. So I know one of the things we're going to do is talk about the same stuff we're talking about tonight, you know, give a brief overview of the case I made, the case he made and and why we think the other person's is problematic. And then I'm planning on doing 
an entirely second, a, a second separate video about his closing remarks and this, this issue of methodological naturalism. And it, it's kind of in part because on October 2nd, I'm doing a debate with Matt Slick. Oh, and Ugh. yeah, sorry. <laughs> <I'm> sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it, 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 it happened because the Bible thumping wingnut dudes came over oh. my Twitter and were like, Oh, Matt wants to debate you, but you're too scared. And I'm like, when, when have I ever said no to, yeah. you know, I went on your show, yeah. walked into the lion's den, did this left. And then you guys talk shit about me for, you mm. know, an hour and a half or two hours after. Oh, can yeah. I say that? Oh, oh yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Fucking say whatever you want. <laughs> cool. So, you know, so they, then they talk shit about me for a while afterwards. And, you know, Matt loves to, proclaim victory yeah. and you know i i don't bother doing that so well he's made an entire set- fallacy out of your name right yeah yeah oh yeah the dillahunty dodge the dillahunty fallacy yeah uh, and we had a whole discussion about that i'm hoping to avoid that so i i said all right contact ezra ezra boggs runs the bible and beer consortium and so ezra and i get along really well um he likes the debates i do and i plan to do a lot more with them um and i don't I don't charge them anything. I just drive up to Dallas and do a debate and record it. And, you know, that, that keeps, I love the fact that there's an organization that's dedicated to doing debates. Yeah. It doesn't yeah. bother me a bit that they're, you know, ostensibly Christian, although the whole Bible and beer thing is kind of weird yeah. uh, <laughs> for me as a, you know, a former Southern Baptist. Yeah. So what I got from, I, I wanted to have a debate on, are the gospels reliable? Um, because that's easy. <laughs> but but it also puts him in the position of defending what he actually believes. Right. Well, Matt doesn't want to do that. Matt has some he's he really doesn't like me. Yeah. Uh, he's debating David Smalley the night before huh. on the topic is the god of the Old Testament a moral monster. So there he's he's actually playing defense, but he he actually according to a, a fan of the show went on his radio show to say that he was specifically avoiding topics where he would be on defense and he was going to put me on defense. He was going to make sure, you know, blah, blah, blah. Matt has to defend something. And then he sent me a list of, of topics that he suggested and they were awful. I mean, Oh, you posted about this on Facebook the other day. Yeah, it's terrible. It's, you know, he didn't, they weren't proper dichotomies. It was like, and some of them were worded so poorly that the answer is just yes. Like, <laughs> is it reasonable to believe that God exists or doesn't exist? Why, <laughs> why yes, Matt, it is reasonable. Thank you. Uh, he kept trying to get me to defend philosophical naturalism or any other things like that. And I finally, um, he had worded, all of them had to do with, is it logical too? Is this logical? And I'm like, man, you're misusing logical. You need to be talking about rational. So... I sent a note back to Ezra and I said, basically um, I had made a suggestion that instead of having a debate with a topic, we just go in and sit down, uh, talk about what we believe and why for 20 minutes each, and then go into just direct questions and make it more of a, you know, Matt versus Matt conversation. That way he gets to ask me whatever the hate he wants. And I get to correct all of his uh, yeah. misunderstandings. But, yeah. He, well, I don't think he was going for that either. So I suggested a topic. Is secular humanism superior to Christianity? Because that is a topic where I am defending the affirmative. I would definitely answer, yes, secular humanism is superior to Christianity. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure that Matt would answer no. 
Right. I framed it so that I'm defending the affirmative. So I'm on defense, which is what he wanted. Mm. And I was hoping that he would say yes. And the last response I got from Ezra is that uh, Ezra believes that Matt has accepted my topic. Mm-hmm. All right. I'm, this is going to be in some ways my favorite debate. And it's because instead of just doing, you know, does God exist or is this, I get to talk about humanism. Mm-hmm. I explain what it is to people. I get to show why it is superior and why almost any reasonable person should think that it's superior. Um, and it's going to be great. And I, I, I don't know how he can defend against it. Um, without dipping into the what about the afterlife type stuff. Mm-hmm. And you should be well prepared. I mean, not that not that you ever aren't, but you've already put together a, a pretty large piece on this too, so that you talked on for a while, right? Superior well, of it, secular morality. I talk about the superiority of secular morality, but I'm not going for um, just a defense of morality. I guarantee you morality will come up. It's, oh, sure. it's Matt's big sticking point. And it comes up in you know ninety percent of the ba- debates I do anyway, but I want it to be as a worldview, as a oh, way of figuring yeah. out how to live your life, which one is actually better. I see, because I I think that there's twenty points of attack that I can lay out for secular humanism, where Christianity fails, 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 mm-hmm. and would fail even if we assumed that it was true, right. Even if we assumed that there was a God and a Jesus and all this other stuff, it would still fail, and yet we don't get to assume that. Right. Well, and I mean the the most obvious one, and I think probably your favorite, is just the whole argument of slavery, right? Yeah. That's certainly one of them. I, d- I don't know. I'm, I would expect that Matt will probably anticipate yeah. that I'll go with slavery. Yeah. Um, I think I'm going to speak in starting off in kind of broader spoke, strokes. Um, I – what I expect him to do with the topic is to go look up the secular humanist manifesto and start picking it apart for all the things that he finds objectionable. And I'm also going to start by sitting down with a copy of the secular humanist manifesto and, um, try and pick out the points that he, I think he's going to find objectionable and show why they're actually better. Um, and a bunch of other stuff. I, I've got a lot of work to do, but, I think it's going to be fun. And I've tried, you know, I'm an atheist because I'm a skeptic. Um, I'm a humanist because that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And I have tried to work more humanism and more skepticism in so that I'm not always just, you know, does God exist? Does God exist? Does God exist? Because that's going to get old. Right. I I think I'm looking forward to this debate. Yeah, me too. (laughs) Yeah, that'll be a whole lot of fun. I'm hoping... That the that the opening statement, that my thirty minute opening statement, yeah. I can just rip out of that debate and post it as here's everything you need to know about secular humanism and why you should be a secular humanist and just you know set it aside from the debate. Here's secular humanism one hundred and one. Right. Hmm. So uh, we, we've got a list of questions here from listeners to the show. Um, but before we get to those, you had mentioned that this upcoming debate with Matt Slick may be one of your favorites. What so far has been your favorite debate? Wow. Um, I, I liked this last one a lot um, because it's the first time I've had the chance to, to debate the resurrection 
Um, I liked the debate that I did with Abdu Murray in Amarillo, where the topic was, mm. should America be one nation under God? Um, that was such a, a departure from the standard topics that we would debate. And it's far closer to the, you know, is secular humanism superior to Christianity? It's far closer to that. Um, I really liked those topics and the way the debate went. Uh, one thing I liked about Amarillo is, you know, we're, we're heading out to a tiny little town. I expected maybe a couple hundred people, 300 at, at tops. And the room held 650 or so, and we filled it. And there were people lined up two, three deep around the outside. I think there were probably 750 people there Wow! Oh, wow. In, in Amarillo, Texas. And that was, I loved that. Now, who were they there primarily to see? Was it you or your, your opponent? Or your, or your opponent, Murray? You know, I really don't know because I wasn't familiar with Abdu Murray before that debate. I know okay. he's got a ministry. I know that there were a lot of church uh, folks who showed up. Um, I, there may have been mostly church folks. Um, but I also know some some atheists who were there and some who drove in from Lubbock. Oh wow! But I hope, I, I, I like my ideal debate audience has no atheists in it. Mm-hmm. I, to try to get a message I, across. But what the hell do you guys need to listen to me explain? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know you can catch it on video, and I don't need a cheering section. And after you know, I I, I was there for Aaron's debate in Dallas, and you know it was a primarily atheist audience. And I understand that there, you know, if you're living in frustration at being trapped in a world which is predominantly peopled with religious individuals, that you you can get your bloodlust up in a debate and you can get excited. Um, But that thing, in some respects, was a train wreck. And it was, you know, there was a lot of disrespect thrown at his opponent, who was not you know, a great speaker was, you know, wasn't particularly entertaining. Um, but I don't know that there was, it got out of hand and the substance of the debate fell by the wayside pretty quickly. And that's not necessarily, you know, Aaron's fault or the crowd's fault or anything. It's just this confluence of, of everything happening. But I want to talk to theists. I, I, I want them to walk out of there either having had their mind changed, which is rare, but it does happen. But at a minimum, they need to go home and never, ever be able to say they've never met an atheist and they've never met an atheist who didn't give reasons for why they believe. They can still disagree with me. But this bizarre world where ministers are constantly going up as if pronouncing that non-believers are, you know, lost and given over to a reprobate mind and they just don't, they aren't rational and they can't see the obvious common sense truth that Jesus loves us. And, you know, it's all about the feels and they want to point to Josh McDowell's evidence that demands a verdict as if it is the, you know, end all be all defensive Christianity when really it is garbage from a scholarly standpoint. And it's nothing more than, you know, it's like preaching to the choir if you dig slightly beneath the surface of what what's in McDowell's book, as I would recommend people go out to infidels.org, there's a chapter by chapter deconstruction of his book showing just how awful it is. But it was the it was that book that kept me in Christianity. Hmm. So who who have you debated that you what is your least favorite debate that you've had? Oh, I think I can guess this one. All right, guess. Sigh. No. No. Really? Ooh. No, I, I, I actually liked the debate with Cy. Um, 
Huh. I I like the opportunity to expose. <laughs> okay. Yeah. The the horrible thinking uh, of ind- of individuals that are advocating for Christianity and other religious ideas whenever I can. Um, my my least favorite debate um, would probably be the Ray Comfort debate that took place mm-hmm. on a radio station in in like the Minneapolis St. Paul area. They oh, had me phone yeah. in, uh, and I I called in and talked to them before, and they said, "Oh, we're going to get Ray Comfort to come on and debate you." And I don't think it was a waste of time because I was on drive time Christian radio. So there were soccer moms with their kids out there Mm. who were listening to me uh, demolish the traditional arguments for Christianity and defend a rational, skeptical view uh, that results in, you know, non-theism. And their representative literally said he has no interest in defending whether or not God exists. He just loves me and doesn't want me to go to hell. (laughs) <laughs> so he showed up he showed up at a debate and his only goal was to preach and ignore yeah. the actual substance of the debate. Mm. So from a debate standpoint it was terrible, but despite that, I I there are things I still like about it because I was I was on Christian radio mm-hmm. and their their representative uh was one of the worst. Yeah. Well yeah, you got a chance to get a message out to an audience you want the message to go to. And they haven't had me back. <laughs> and they, they they also didn't didn't do much in the way of apologizing for potentially wasting my time although in 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 private they noted that they were rather rather disappointed with ray uh you, you, you shouldn't agree to a debate well, if you're not actually going to come debate right you can't heavily edit a live debate like you can in your videos <laughs> true <laughs> yeah i so i think your debate with Sai. Uh, was one of my favorites for two reasons. The first being that you prepared your your rebuttal before the debate even started. Yeah, everybody liked that. That was <laughs> that was awesome. Like I I stood I up. Point out, I did point out in the debate review that um, number one, you shouldn't do this normally. Uh, I, I did it to make a point, and number two, um, it didn't. It was successful in a rebuttal as a rebuttal in general to size views, it was not actually a rebuttal to the specific argument that he presented. And so it was mostly a tactic and I think it succeeded on those grounds, but I would never claim that it was a proper rebuttal to mm. what he presented. So it, it was a little, it was about 50, 50, uh, but it was so good when I thought of it, <laughs> I was like, this guy's so predictable, I could write my rebuttal ahead of time. And <laughs> so I did. And everybody, except maybe Cy, liked it. Yeah, I, I actually, I was watching it at my computer in my office, and I actually stood up and clapped <laughs> in my office while I was watching that. And the second part that I loved about that debate was when Cy said, oh, well, you're just hanging up on me. And you said, that's right, because you said I couldn't. <laughs> yeah. it's it. I tell you, I, I, I liked that moment. In the moment, I didn't like it so much afterwards, but it was, uh, it was the way he was doing what, you know, they're going to try and do. He was trying to monopolize time that wasn't his. Um, and I wasn't going to let him do that. Um, I think my favorite thing about the side debate is that I learned something, uh, significant. And that is we, you know, I'm well aware 
that when people get into discussions, they are occasionally waiting for their turn to speak rather than actually thinking about what the, what's being presented. This happens a lot in the God debates. And I know that I've done this a long time and I try to avoid doing that. And because I have, you know, I know good answers and good replies to almost every, you know, stock sort of argument that somebody's going to present, it gives me the opportunity to actually focus a little more on what's being said. Because I can jot down a quick note, you know, Kalam, and, you know, I, I know what I need to say about that argument. But the argument he presented, um, he actually, he successfully tricked me, although I can't give him credit for it because he was tricked too. He didn't know how wrong it was. <laughs> but his, his first premise was, it is reasonable to believe that which is true. The second premise was God exists, or it is true that God exists. And then the conclusion was, therefore, it's reasonable to believe that God exists. And he said, I expect Matt to object to the second premise. And he's right, I did. Uh, but I should have also objected to the first premise. And the very first, I think it was the first person who asked a question, or one of the first, pointed out that the first premise is fundamentally flawed in that it's, well, it's just flat wrong. And I already knew that it was wrong, but because of the way he framed it, and because the the mode I was thinking in, it flew right by, by mm -hmm. me. Because it's not reasonable to believe that which is true. Uh, reasonableness is not tied to truth. It is tied to the to the it is tied to the evidence, the warrant for truth. So it could be true that there is a teapot on on Saturn, but that doesn't mean that it's reasonable to believe that. In order for the first premise to be correct, it should be, it is reasonable to believe that which is demonstrable or has been demonstrated to be true, hmm. not just is true. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's hmm. a good point. Um, I guess I hadn't thought of that. I guess I didn't pick up on that either, but I would imagine that as soon as he presented his second premise, yeah. that consumed your thinking yeah. on the subject. Yeah. yeah, it's like, it's you know, hey, the first one's wrong, but... Before I could even recognize how wrong it was, here comes the second one. It's true that God exists. <laughs> yeah. yeah, here comes okay. here comes the freight train of bullshit in the second premise. <laughs> yeah, that, that is so, you know, so so hard to defend the second premise at all. That that yeah, that was that would have been the first line of attack anyway. I'm sure. It was a slightly different take. So the, I did a, some debates at a Church of Christ in San Antonio, and they were frustrated by the time we got to day four. Uh, actually, they were frustrated by day two and really frustrated on day three because I did a series of debates each night at the end of this conference. And they were like, oh, Matt doesn't, you know, every time we ask Matt something, he says, I don't know. And it gave me the opportunity to talk about the power of I don't know and the value of I don't know as an answer. Um, it's very different from the side debate because when we were having those discussions, I was doing everything in my power to give an accurate, reasonable answer. And almost every time he was asked, it was deflect, 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 because that's his, you know, and that's what Slick will do too. Mm -hmm. um, I, I fully expect when he debates, when Slick debates Smalley, the topic is, is the God of the Old Testament a moral monster? And I fully expect that Matt's entire argument will be, you have no grounds by which to determine that the God of the Old Testament is immoral. Right. Yeah, because you have no morality yourself as an atheist, right? Or yeah. Or how can you question, you know, the the person who authors morality or is yeah. 
I, he may do that. That's a little. That's a little worse for him because now he's basically advocating for divine command theory. Which, right. uh, anyway, I, I'm I'm actually talking with Smalley, um, giving him some tips and pointers, and hopefully some short answers to demolish these standard objections. Because at the end of the day, it, if somebody says, "Oh, you don't have any standard by which to say that this is immoral." You could respond with, I can use the exact same standard that you're using. Right. I, we could just agree, you know, in any other context, we would never have a conversation about what's the basis for whether something's moral. If, if you come up to me and you say, you know, my neighbor down the street uh, is wholly immoral. I watch him out there in the yard. He just smacks his kids around the head uh, constantly, yells at them and abuses them. Uh, they can't do anything right. I, 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 I think this is immoral and I want to call Child Protective Services. Never in that conversation would somebody say, well, what is your basis for claiming that that's immoral? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's just not going to happen. And then jump to tag. Yeah. Well, tag, his version of tag got completely, completely demolished by Alex Malpas in, uh, on an episode of the Bible Thumping Wingnut back in January. I posted about this on facebook the other day um and it is if you care about this stuff which i understand people don't and my wife completely fucking hates it uh, (laughs) but if you care about it is beth not into the philosophical points what's that is beth not into the philosophical points she thinks there's a handful of things that she despises as time-wasting nonsense that she doesn't want to think about like if we go to happy hour and we start talking about identity and somebody brings up like the transporter argument, um, she will leave. Because <laughs> th- that's just like beyond stupid to her. But I love it. I, I think that that's, I think it's incredibly important. I think it's a good thing to talk about. Um, and if you're not familiar with it, I guess we could possibly touch on it. But but the, the issue here with this, um, with TAG, is that Alex went through and showed that the argument that Matt has is invalid and ultimately circular. Hmm. And it is, Matt is on video and you can watch him start to realize this and and start to panic and then acknowledge that he's basically, you know, added a not, not, you know, premise uh, in order to make it circular and then towards the end, they're desperately asking Alex, well, how could we possibly fix this? Oh, man. <laughs> and, and Alex is like, you can't. You cannot make an argument for to accomplish what you want to do using this, um, uh, the, the way he's got tag structures is, is, as a disjunctive syllogism. Um, hmm. and, and so for philosophy, logic, arguments for God geeks, it's it's not just gold. It's like uber platinum. Awesome. <laughs> it was a great, great watch. What was Alex's last name? Sorry. I'm going to go watch that. Uh, Malpass. M-A-L-P-A-S-S. Okay. Cool. Yeah, I'll have uh, to watch that one as well. It's it's really good. It is long, and it is painful. Yeah. <laughs> and, and one of the big problems, I, everybody was nice and pleasant, which I liked and respectful. One of the big problems is that you're talking about these things and you really need diagrams. Yeah. And they are sending each other diagrams back and forth, or at least, you know, like here's a written out 
uh, either P or not P. You know, they're sending that stuff back, and none of that's visible on the screen. So if you're not up on these things, you're going to get lost. I mean, it's unavoidable. Hell, I got lost two or three times and had to write down what they were writing down. <laughs> oh, man. Well, so we've seen you debate other atheists on philosophical points. Um, do you prefer debating atheists on points of philo- on points of philosophy, or do you prefer arguing uh, against religious points or, or or debating with religious people? Yeah, I don't, let's see. I've debated I debated an atheist on abortion because um, she was just wrong, uh, <laughs> but. Um, I think most of the time when I, when I get into arguments with other atheists about points of philosophy, um, it's not so much a debate as it is, Hey, let's, let's sort this out because it's important. You know, I hate bad arguments everywhere, but I hate bad arguments the most when they're presented by people who agree with my conclusions. I don't, I don't want, you know. I, I called out atheists in the middle of the, the last debate that I did for, for making ridiculous hyperbolic, you know, I see it all the time on Twitter and memes. Uh, hell, I saw two of them today. We start talking about, you know, oh, there's Bible contradictions. And yeah, some of them are and some of them aren't. Or, you know, it's biblically immoral to shave. Uh, well, not, not exactly. There's specific rules about shaving. Uh, Dan is violating them. Uh, (laughs) sorry (laughs) but 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 then but then they'll say oh but the bible you know the bible has it it's wrong to shave but child abuse is okay or rape is okay and that is such a simplified meme that no no bible believing christian is going to be remotely impressed by that they just get to write you off as not understanding the subject and so when you get into attacking the Bible or aspects of theology, you had better know your stuff and you'd better be specific because you need to get to a point where they cannot just dismiss you. And that's why when I did that video on slavery, I went through every verse and the context of what the Bible has to say about slavery specifically. So they can't say, Oh no, this is just about indentured servitude, which by the way is also immoral, but uh, you know, no, that's not what it's about. It's very clear what it's about. And I want them, when they're defending their Bible, to never be able to realistically say, no, you are just misinterpreting it. I want to go by what it actually says. And that means that we've got to be honest. And when you say uh, Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 uh, are contradictory, well, no, you've got to be a lot more specific about that because there's, there is a line of apologetics that shows that these are complementary accounts, that they're not merely restating this in a different way that's that's in conflict i think the best example um michael Shermer came to austin and did a debate which i've complained about many many times so apologies if you've heard it <laughs> but he stood up there and he said the noah story contradicts itself because it says to bring uh two of every animal and then later on it says to bring seven and a Christian got up during the Q&A and said, basically, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, Dr. Shermer, but you're wrong about what the Bible says with yeah, two of every one and seven of every one. And as he's trying to explain what the Bible actually says, which is, you know, get all the animals in pairs, uh, but seven of every clean animal, 
kind of trying to explain this isn't a contradiction. Instead, Shermer just waves him off, holds up his iPhone, and says, it's right there in your Bible. Go read it. Next question. Oh. And it was awful because it's not a contradiction. It, I, I had a friend say the Bible doesn't have anything to say against incest and then tried to use Lot and his daughters, that story, as an example of the Bible being for incest. And it took it takes 10 seconds to go look up, hell, go to Skeptic's Annotated Bible. Mm-hmm. There's there's a great list of things in the Bible that are against incest. It specifically tells you who you can't fuck. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it's like you can't you can't have sex with your dad's wives, which that sentence alone brings up all kinds of things about, you know, biblical marriage God. and morality. But what's interesting is when you get done with the whole list, never is it forbidden for a father to have sex with his daughter. It lists all of these various relationships and doesn't mention that one. And when you bring this up to apologists, what they say is, oh, well, that one's just obvious. Hmm. Wait, you mean it wasn't <laughs> obvious that you can't sleep with your mom? Yeah. List, had to list that one? But no. And, and the, the most realistic view of all this is that women were property mm-hmm. and your dad's wives were property uh, and your, your, your dad's daughters are property. And so you can't mess with your dad's daughters. You can't, you can't mess with your dad's property. Right. It is it, it is. A big, you know, it was this huge mistake to say the Bible doesn't say anything against incest when it would have been so much more impactful to say, let's take a look at what the Bible says about incest and then talk about what it prohibits and what it doesn't prohibit and why and how this is all absurd. Um, I never had to be told, I don't have any sisters, but I never had to be told that I couldn't have sex with my sisters. Uh, it's, I, I, nobody had to say, you know what, Matt, you can't have sex with your mom. Well, I that's mean, just because I it was realize, known. I know there are people <laughs> who have um, genetic attraction. I, I, Beth and I just saw a story this last week well, of a of a woman and her son. Um, yeah, the one that was she gave up for adoption. Yeah, and then when yeah. he was eighteen, they they met and got back together, and then they had sex, and now they're going to jail. Yeah. Now, personally, I don't think they should be going to jail. I don't think this should be illegal. Um, you can think it's creepy all you want, but we have essentially two consenting adults who are probably probably um, dealing with issues of genetic attraction, which is an actual condition. Hmm. Um, but at the end of the day, it, I don't think it's something somebody should be going to jail over. Yeah. But that is a very weird, that, that's a unique scenario or an unusual scenario unusual, yeah. um, where you, you meet up with your child and they're, they're now an adult. I mean, hmm. what if you didn't know? Yeah. Right. <laughs> Oh no! It's, and so there's a separate issue of what's should be legal and what's moral. But I'm now way afield of whatever question <laughs> I was asked an hour ago. <laughs> That's all right. We like it, man. Yeah, we like to we ramble on the show quite a bit. So feel free oh, to do the I'm same. Then, <laughs> um, who have you not debated but would love to do so? Who's at the, I'm, I'm sure there are a few people, but who's at the top of that list? I think probably William Lane Craig is at the top of the list, even though he's actually slipping. Um, yeah. The longer it takes for us to actually have a debate, the less interested I am in it. Mm. Uh, now it may happen because he has also spoken at the Bible and beer consortium more than once. Um, I think they're going to talk to him about possibly doing a debate with me if he would agree. Um, I think there's a few others. I wouldn't mind basically any of the, the more popular apologists of the last 15 or 20 years who I haven't debated. So, Frank Turek, Gary Habermas, Rabbi Zacharias, uh, probably not Dinesh D'Souza right now because he's yeah. pretty much a pariah for screwing around and, yeah. you know, 
wasting money. But I'm so I despise the very notion of celebrity. Um, I, I understand the realities of it. Some people are famous and some people fawn over famous people. And I have I'm pretty good friends with some people who are fairly famous and I treat them like people. And if they don't treat me like people back, fuck them. I, you know, if, <laughs> yeah. if you know, if uh, if one of them is, expects me to kowtow and kiss their ass a little bit, uh, they can kiss my ass. I people are people, so I despise this idea of celebrity. And um, it happens to me on occasion within the atheist community. I'll show up at an event, and there'll be somebody there who's like, "Oh, it's Matt." And fortunately, it, it almost always goes away real quick. It, you know. So the same thing is true for apologists. I don't have the, like this list of named apologists. Ooh, that I've got it. I need to debate Craig. Um, when I decide who I'm going to debate, primarily I'll debate anybody except for Cy or Ray because I'm done with them now. <laughs> uh, but I'll pretty much debate anybody who's willing to debate if we can agree on a topic and a format. Uh, that's it. I mean, because the truth is, Ray Comfort has the same arguments that William Lane Craig has. It's just Bill's a lot better at presenting them. And he's a lot more skilled in manipulating debates, uh, debate as competition, debate as a, uh, a, a competitive hmm. practice. Yeah, he's a, much uh, more, he's a much better rhetorical speaker than Ray Comfort for sure. Yeah. And it's, you know, the thing is, is I want to move debates. I want to move the way they are because people look at debates – as as if they're like a collegiate scored event. Mm. We're still doing them in the format of collegiate scored events. And I don't know that that's a good thing. My ideal debate structure, I think, would be maybe a short 10 or 15 minute opening from each person on what their position is on this issue and why. And then a great big long conversation between the two of them uh, where the time is divided up equally. And then some questions from the audience. I really liked that that bit of the debate with uh, with Blake, where you just basically sat down at the same table and asked questions back and forth. I like that. I like that conversational nature of discussion, so that you can highlight and, and pinpoint and, and ask more direct questions of the person whose point you disagree with to to explore more deeply what their point actually is. And that time always goes so fast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that. You know, I, I, had, I gave a 30-minute opening, and I had a 15-minute question yeah. period. It felt like the 15-minute question period took about two minutes. And the 30 minutes, I, I packed so much into it um, that I hope that it seemed like, you know, not too long. But it, it felt like 50 times longer than the question period. I think they did seem – I mean, of course, they were longer, but it they both felt a lot longer too. You know, Blake's – opening was a little bit rambling i think he tried to pack way too much into that yeah um your opening while i liked it a lot it did seem like that was an extraordinary amount of time to spend on just an opening although i will say when i first wrote it and timed it just to see if i was going to be under 30 minutes it was 48 minutes oh wow (laughs) and so i cut out all kinds of stuff i cut out all the (laughs) stuff about uh, defining death because I realize that's that's probably not going to be relevant to this discussion, even though it should be. Um, and I think I timed it at 28 minutes, but when I looked at the debate, 
I think I actually went over. I think it took me like 32 minutes. Okay. So I cheated. I cheated at the last <laughs> debate. <laughs> hey, everybody. This is X. And I'm Kyle. And I'm Felicia. We're the Utah Outcasts. Three out, unashamed, and active atheists living in Utah. And we are personally inviting you to let us love your ears each and every week. As we take the news, current events, and pop culture and give it a little twist... A love twist with consent. And we'll be joined each week by a special guest to tell us what makes them an outcast like us. Come find us. The Utah Outcasts. On PodHell.com, Stitcher, iTunes, Google Play, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. And on UtahOutcast.com. We finally bought that domain off the kids handing out mixtapes in the mall. Come be an outcast with us. Take care of yourselves out there. Bonne nuit. And you're welcome. Now, before just just a little bit back, just a little bit ago, you mentioned that you had debated another atheist on abortion. What was that? Was that a formal debate? Was that just an online argument back and forth? No, that was a formal debate. It was at the uh, Texas Free Thought Convention several years ago. Um, Christine Krizelnicki was part of the secular pro life organization that was tabling at a lot of events, and I had challenged. Kelsey Hazard, who ran or was the the head person at Secular Pro-Life, I had challenged her to a debate, and she opted out and sent Christine instead. And so we had a debate on abortion at the Free Thought Convention. And what were what was the position or, or argument or topic of discussion? I mean, clearly it was abortion, but was the what was the subject? Was it, you know, that abortion right is immoral or wrong or... Uh, I wouldn't take it as a moral question. I don't care whether you think it's moral or not. My only concern is whether or not it should be legal. And so I, I don't, while I don't remember the specific wording, I know that the topic had to do with the legality or should abortion be legal or something like that. Um, cause I won't debate it from a moral standpoint. I don't care. Um, because we don't legislate simply based on, on morality or, or moral opinions. Hmm. Right. But the the thing was, um, so this was a big mess. Uh, it was her first debate. Um, she was the crowd was almost entirely against her, Ooh. and she showed videos designed to tug at heartstrings and uh, just like most secular pro life people, she was woefully. Uh, ill-informed about the bodily rights argument or Judith Jarvis Thompson's violinist argument, things along those lines, um, which in a nutshell basically says abortion is the right to terminate a pregnancy. It's not the right to kill a fetus. It is the right to terminate a pregnancy. It is a, just a fact of biology that it terminate that it actually kills a fetus. And abortion is the label for what we use for terminating non-viable fetuses. The overwhelming majority of pregnancy terminations for viable fetuses are C-sections and deliveries. They're not abortions. Late-term abortions uh, are almost exclusively, uh, that result in a fetus's death, are almost exclusively done for medical necessity. They're not elective. And that's the status of abortion law in the United States. And the bodily rights argument is essentially not only do you not have any right to force someone to remain pregnant against their wishes, but consent to sex is not consent to pregnancy. 
-hmm. It is consenting to a risk of pregnancy. Mm -hmm. But just like, you know, throwing a rock at a window, you're consenting to the risk that it'll break. Mm -hmm. And you have to have some way to potentially uh, uh, alleviate that. And so you could imagine a two-year-old has no right to its mother's body. It doesn't have a right to organs or, or use. I mean, you, you couldn't even force her to hook up to filter that two-year-old's blood. And yet, when it comes to fetuses, we're not granting them equal rights. They're trying to grant them special rights yeah, and essentially say that the fetus has the right to use the woman's body against her consent. And that is a violation of bodily autonomy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, I, yeah. I she wasn't. Agree. She wasn't ready for that. And she defends. She was, I will say, consistent in her view. Most secular pro-lifes want to make exceptions in the case of rape and murder, mm-hmm. or rape and murder, rape and incest. <laughs> uh, and as soon as you make that exception, you undermine your entire argument because right. now you don't get to say, you know, you wouldn't make an exception um, to kill a two-year-old that was a uh, the result of rape or incest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and. She was consistent. She made no exceptions. Abortion should be legal, full, illegal, full stop, all the way, no, no options. And that, to her credit, her, her position is at least internally consistent, whereas the people she was representing don't hold those views, and their position is uh, internally conflicted. So they would lose by holding mutually exclusive positions, and she loses because hers is demonstrably unreasonable in its in its application. So that's that's kind of one of those strange arguments where, by being logically consistent, it makes it harder to defend. In yeah. in my view, at least, I, you know, you, by by making those special exceptions, you can say, well, sure, in this case, you know, clearly. An abortion would be the best thing if you know if the woman was raped, or if there are uh, wild genetic abnormalities uh, in the fetus, or the the mother's life is is threatened. You know, you should absolutely make those exceptions, and that's it's more easy to defend a position that isn't consistent there versus one that is is always consistent and says no, it's always it's always wrong under any circumstance. Mm. I tell you what, it was one of the debates that made me the maddest, and not because of the debate itself. When it was over, you know, Christine and I were friendly. I talked to her and, you know, gave her some, she asked for some tips on doing a better job debating, and I gave them to her, you know. I, I, I want good debates. I, I don't just want, you know, just because somebody disagrees with me, it doesn't mean I want their side to have nothing but horrible mm-hmm. arguments. Right. If there were good arguments for the position, I want to know them and would accept them. But the organization that she was there representing kicked her out and threw her to the curb. She went and started her own wow. secular oh, wow. pro-life organization. Uh, that that debate was such an embarrassment for them that wow. they threw her under the bus. And the second they did that, I went after them non-fucking-stop. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's, that's How a terrible dare thing. you? I, challenge, I was ready to debate you, Kelsey. And you ducked and avoided, and you sent Christine into the fire. And when she didn't do what you expected her to do, you threw her under the bus, you absolute fucking coward. And then she lied about it and lied about me uh, publicly on Facebook, claiming that what I, what I said wasn't true. Well, I had emails from Christine tell, you know, basically giving all the story of this. So I published them um, 
I, I gave, I sent Kelsey a private message and I said, look, I have these emails. You are, you know, we can disagree all you want, but if you lie and tell the world that I am lying, when I have this email that shows conclusively, you are in fact lying. Um, I will, if you just retract that, if you just say, I, oh, I'm, I misspoke or I overstated the case when I said Matt was lying, then we'll just let this rest. And if and not, she, I'm going to fucking bury you. <laughs> she, she refused. And so I published the thing that shows that she's a big fat fucking liar. <laughs> wow. That's a wild story. It I, was, it, I, I have a great deal of respect for anybody who will honestly go in and debate and try to make the best case for what they're doing. Even if I absolutely despise their position. Um, I don't have respect for people who, you know, when Ray comes in and says he's not going to debate or somebody comes in and they just, you know, like Cy or Matt or somebody, they just avoid, they're not actually debating. But if you come in and you are willing to sit in front of a crowd of people and have it filmed and posted on the internet, defending your position, I have a great deal of respect for that mindset. And when she did that and they threw her under the bus for it, Fuck them. I want yeah. the secular pro-life organization to be wiped from the earth. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, it, and it, it is a lot easier to appreciate somebody who's willing to, to defend their actual position. You know, whether you believe it's wrong or right. I like knowing why people believe something versus, versus them stating a position that they may or may not actually believe, but then never actually defending that position. Yeah. Nothing bothers me more than when somebody will say, I believe X, and you'll ask them why, and then they never talk about it. They, they'll they dodge and deflect and won't ever tell you why they believe that thing. They, they won't even defend it. They'll just say, I believe this, and that's that, and you start asking questions to figure out why they believe it, and all of a sudden, you're the asshole for challenging their position mm -hmm. that they clearly have no defense for. I, I feel that same frustration, but there... I, I feel I need to to throw a note of caution in here because I had an email exchange this week and I just pulled it up and he said, uh, I understand that nobody should be forced to do anything they won't, don't want to do, especially when it means harm of any kind. But isn't it in some way just giving the theist a free pass and allowing them to go on their merry way with their often batshit crazy views and beliefs, which in turn can lead to much greater harm in society than what would be caused by pushing a conversation with them. His entire thing was, don't we get to a point where we should be able to force people to defend their beliefs? No. And my answer was uh, no. And, and when, you, when you say, I understand nobody should be forced to do anything, and then you argue for forcing them to do it, <laughs> you, you've made a big mistake. And I tried to explain. Clearly, you don't understand. You don't owe theists an explanation. Uh, they shouldn't be able to force you to defend your, you know, your atheism. It would be very nice if people would do that. But when we have individual freedoms, um, you don't get to impose upon that. And I said, you know, nobody owes anyone an explanation for anything. Nobody owes them an argument. The very idea of pushing people beyond what they want is a violation of individual freedoms. Mm -hmm. And you've had to try to come up with outlandish scenarios. Uh, he said, you know, well, if in 1830 somebody had pushed Joseph Smith to converse and confront the fact that he was wrong, perhaps we wouldn't have 15 million Mormons. Um, uh, he also said, you know, what if somebody knows uh, the location of a bomb? And I was like, okay, now you're not talking about beliefs. You're not even talking about real scenarios. You're just making shit up <laughs> in order to try to find some way to justify this. Hmm. And uh, then he said that it, 
talking to me was like talking to a theist. Uh, oh, nice. uh, he said, uh, I wasn't trying to be an asshole, but you've kind of been an asshole to me just because I disagreed. Uh, beliefs lead to actions, and it's extremely obvious that your point uh, – well, actually, that sentence isn't isn't coherent. <laughs> um, uh, but good for you. Oh, he said that I, I was avoiding this because I was worried about offending people. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, that's me. Yeah. I'm so worried about offending people. Uh, I, I said, I said, I told him, I said, you know, you, you assume that it's because I don't want to offend people. I don't care about offending people one bit. You acknowledge that beliefs lead to actions. And I've said that for years that beliefs matter, but actions are what we can take action on, not beliefs. Mm-hmm. And I've spent my life changing beliefs by engaging those who want to engage. We don't go door to door on the show, which is what you're advocating. We don't make outgoing calls, which is what you're advocating. We don't force people to have conversations that they don't want to have, which is what you're advocating. You're an asshole. (laughs) (laughs) And what you're advocating is counterproductive and stupid because you're not going to change somebody's mind by trying to browbeat them into defending their position. And you don't get to it. He's, he's cherry picking. He's like, you know, what if, what if the person that you pushed, uh, or refuse to push becomes the next Muhammad. And I said, what if they become the next Reverend Barry Lynn and fight alongside you for church state separation or worse? What if you push them and they become the next Stalin or Pol Pot? You know, you can't pick out the worst case scenario to justify being an asshole. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know we have a, uh, one of our local leaders here for atheist Utah was just on a few weeks ago. And he said that thing that made the difference in his life was actually finding your show and binge watching it and realizing, wow, I believe in so many false things, and I'm an atheist. Yeah, he was he was raised a very conservative uh, uh, Baptist. Baptist. Um, yep, very fundamentalist. And uh, the first time, not probably not the first time, but one one of the times that he was challenged about something, you know, he wanted to be the great defender of the faith, and so he took to the internet to learn more about it and said that, and this is one of the newly elected board members for Atheists of Utah, uh, Jesse Jesse Connerly, who we had on the show a couple weeks ago. And he said that when he went online to try to research, you know, the things that his church was teaching him, he stumbled across uh, the, the atheist experience and that you in particular in listening to a lot of the arguments that you were making are, are one of the biggest reasons why he's an atheist today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I hear that a lot. And I mean, my my stock answer to everybody who, you know, there's a handful of people at every convention. I got an email just today, uh, eight o'clock this morning from a guy who's 52, uh, has been a Christian his entire life. And uh, he said he, he stumbled upon Dawkins and then eventually made it to our show. Um, and now he's an atheist. And, and so there are people that credit me or the show or the debates or whatever. And what I tell all of them is, you know, give yourself credit. I ju- I'm just somebody who talks. And you had to be willing to listen. You had to be willing to change your mind. You you did all the hard work of actually thinking about this stuff. Because for every one of, of those people, and there's thousands and thousands of emails like this in, in my, you know, archive. For every one of those people, there's another 10,000 that heard what I had to say. And it didn't phase them one bit. So, um, you know, I'm not going to pretend like, oh, I had, you know, oh, I'm just some guy who talks and I don't know nothing and ha ha ha. But I want to empower people. Um, and I think that this whole thing, you know, the reason why I go after religion so much is because religion takes that power away. 
it takes the fear of not knowing it takes the fear of uh, you know, what's going to happen when I'm diet, when I'm dead, or, you know, am I alone? And it tries to give, you know, pacifying answers to these things. And in the process, it shuts down people's ability to think critically about what they believe. They can't, most of them will never, you, you talk to somebody, poll everybody in a church, pick random Baptist church or Lutheran church, whatever. They, most of them can't even tell you exactly what it is they believe. Mm -hmm. Fewer can tell you exactly why. Mm -hmm. Most of them don't know anything about their holy book other than what's been spoon-fed from the pulpit. They don't know the history of religion. None of them have any training or even cursory or a limited number have any cursory understanding of philosophy or epistemology. Um, skepticism is, is a weird term for them. All they know is Everybody around me believes, and when I stand up and sing in church, it feels good. And I, now I have a community, and I'm part of something, and I have hope that I will live forever. Mm -hmm. And that's as deep as most people ever get. Yeah, I think I actually had an argument with someone a few weeks ago about the praying in church and feeling the Holy Spirit and kind of trying to explain to them. I said, well, you can also go to a, a rock concert, be in a, in a party, and have the same feelings and as you're getting when you're out there, and like, no, it's different. It's, it's yeah, the well, Holy Spirit in me at church, the feeling you get at a rock concert, singing songs with other people, and those emotions, that's a completely different thing. I'm like, actually, it's... Yeah, well, and, and most of the people within the same religion, you know, within the same religious sect, even within the, even within the same congregation, if you start asking, you know, if you, if you get two or three of them together and you start asking them specific points of doctrine or belief and why they may believe you'll you'll quickly find out that they don't even agree with each other yeah mm -hmm. right you well know, there's what? a reason why there's a thousand denominations or more that all identify as christian and if you want to know what's wrong with the first baptist church you can go to the second baptist church and ask them <laughs> but you didn't have to do that i went to the first baptist church of harvester in st charles missouri as a teenager i was a southern baptist the church was southern baptist my parents were absolutely uh, opposed to alcohol in any form, and yet there was one of the deacons in the church who made his own wine, and there were other people, you know, who had different views on this. Um, it's it's like there's this big lie, and it's surrounded by so many tiny lies that you're never going to see the big lie. And when you're in this community, you know that that person at the end of the pew is a hypocrite and that person's been sleeping with somebody's wife and this person's been doing this. And, and you, you set all of that aside because they're part of your in-group. They're part of the ones who are probably going to maybe vote like you. Um, and it, you know, you fundamentally know that if you start pointing out these problems in your church, your church is going to lose members to the other churches. You, those people are you're gonna, one of you is going to stop going to this church and they're going to go to another you know this is how you ended up with all these different denominations mm -hmm. and so it's much better to just keep the peace and what you'll find at least i found uh gossip all kinds of <laughs> gossip oh it's gooey gossip because it gives you this extra feel good because you're the one who's actually right with the lord and that person down at the you know in, in pew number four Sister Bertha better than you or whatever, you know that she's a big old hypocrite. And so you feel closer to God uh, by engaging in the kind of schadenfreude at, 
at what everybody else is doing. It's 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 life. It's what human beings do, and it's and when they're in church, you know, I think it was um, somebody said it. Uh, oh, what was it? Catholics don't recognize each other or something, and and Baptists pretend not to recognize each other in the liquor store. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I'm trying to remember that joke. I, I know I've heard it, but I can't remember yeah, the I, exact I'm, wording I either. It all. Well, it's like the good joke of how do you keep a Mormon from drinking your alcohol? Invite two. Oh, I think it was something like, yeah. Well, yeah. So there's the Mormon joke of, yeah. How do you keep how do you keep a Mormon from drinking all of your beer when you go out fishing? Yeah. Invite yeah. another Mormon. Um, and that's one of the things. Now, you guys will be probably more familiar with this than I am, because I'm only passingly. I mean, I've, I've heard from a lot of Mormons and Foremans. Um, I keep hearing, and I don't want to present this too often because I don't want it. I like to make sure I'm accurately representing different dom- denominations. But it, my impression from what I've heard is that Mormons are pretty much instructed to put a positive face on every aspect of their life to everyone all the time, Mormon and non-Mormon, and only reveal the, the dirty secrets to, you know, uh, the clergy, the, and, and stuff like that. So that no matter how bad things are, you are a representative of the Mormon church. So you need to lie and pretend like it's good so that you don't drive people away from the Mormon church. Well, of course they won't say lie in the way you phrased it, but yeah, basically yeah, there's, I mean, there's, there's kind of two aspects to that. There's, there's a little bit of a fake it till you make it mm-hmm. where, you know, as long as you can continue repeating the lie of, of everything in your life being perfect to yourself, you'll eventually believe it. Or that's at least the Hold belief that a lot of So it's have. not really a lie. You're just expressing your hopeful optimism about your life improving. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's, it's kind of the, it's, it's like the secret for Mormons, yep. you know, it, the, the book, The Secret, it's, you know, that's yeah. one of the Mormon ways of life is just mm-hmm. as long as I'm happy and plucky and do everything that the mm-hmm. the bishop and the stake president and the prophets say, then my life will be perfect. And clearly I'm doing most of those things, so my life is perfect. A lot of it's subconscious, too, because the communities are sort of culturally happy-go-lucky and naive, you know, and so and so everybody's behaving this way. So it's like, especially when you get out of Salt Lake City into some of the more rural, pl- in you know, Utah County, Provo, uh, it's just all leave it to Beaver suburbs and cul de sacs and they've all drank so. the Kool Aid. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it, and the, and the it, other part of it is that a big part of the LDS faith is is getting up and presenting your personal mm-hmm. testimony of how true and wonderful the church is. Yeah. And you do this from the time that you can toddle up to the lectern and have your parent whisper whatever they want you to say into your ear to have you regurgitate that into a microphone for the entire congregation to hear. So you're, you're raised your entire life being instructed and told that the church is true, that your parents are wonderful, your siblings are wonderful, you're a great child. Joseph Smith was a true prophet. Yeah, all of these. And, I mean, that's from the time that you can barely walk until you are sent out on a mission with very little instruction on, you know, the early teachings of the church and some of the more problematic beliefs that have been, that have run rampant through the church throughout the decades and, and mm-hmm. centuries. But so they, you know, there, there's the fake it till you make it bit. And then there's just such heavy, heavy indoctrination, like I said, from the, and conditioning mm-hmm. from the time you're so little that 
Yeah, that's that's definitely a very Mormon thing. Yep. So do they make so every now and then I'll run across somebody um and find out that they're Mormon and I didn't expect it, you know, uh, you know, an actress or you know, Catherine Heigl or AJ Cook or Eliza Dushku or and so all most non-Mormons uh, are going to know about this is you know, oh they're uh Mormonism is all about the height of morality, and then there's the magical underwear. So, how how <laughs> the do they Jesus have? Uh, how do these actors and actresses get away with uh, doing like uh, bathing suit type of uh, stuff and and programs that would be viewed as uh, morally questionable by Mormons, and yet uh, there's still, I guess, Mormons in good standing. Who knows? Well, I, I would almost think that's that's like even here in Utah, we have Utah Mormons and non-Utah Mormons. People that live here in Utah are around other Mormons so much that they're, I guess, probably kept to a higher standard of living to that moral code of the Mormon religion. Or if you're living outside the state, you're not surrounded by as many people of the Mormon religion. It's not in your face as much. So they're a little more liberal with their Mormonism. And if you're an Eliza Dushku, the church is going to be a lot more liberal with yeah. you anyway because those are you're some big tithing checks. Yeah. Well, and Eliza Dushku has, has said that she was raised LDS and yeah. you know that most of her family is Mormon, but that she's really not these yeah. days. Um, yeah. And, and I think that there's several others who have said that as well, um, although it's not going to stop the church from – from claiming him, there's some. There's yeah, some of right. some of the famous Mormons the church can have. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't really care about. Well, like uh, Ted Bundy, but it's, it's always kind of. <laughs> so there's there's Utah Mormons, then there's Mormons, and then there's FLDS, which is a whole. Yeah, I don't think that there's going to be an FLDS actress in a bikini. No, no. no. And when you're talking about like living that kind of life of yeah. being a Mormon. I know they have the term in the FLDS cult called keeping sweet, which if you listen to Warren Jeff tapes from him in prison, he'll be telling the women to keep sweet, which I've always had the understanding basically means do what the fuck I tell you. Do what the prophet says, keep sweet. Right. Or get in yeah. trouble. Yeah. Well, and in Utah, you also have what are typically referred to as, well, I, w I was going to say there's two major, two major LDS or Mormon components, but really there's three. You've got... Uh, true believing Mormons, or just your regular pew sitting, regular church going Mormons, and the Jack Mormons, and the Jack Mormons are people who have some some relation to the church. I, you know, they were raised in the church. Most of their families LDS, but they're the ones who gamble or drink or smoke or do whatever that you know are are against the word of wisdom, but they'll still do it because it's what most normal yeah. people they're, around they're, them. They're culturally anyway. Mormon. Yeah. Yeah, they're more culturally Mormon than anything else. Yeah, I get that. I, I I think that because of the way the church portrays itself, I think people outside the church have this view that Mormons are some homogenous group that are, you know, above and beyond. And, and That's how they we, like we to know present it, for sure. But yeah. even if that was close to true, it would still not be true. Yeah, that's right. that's how the church likes to present it. But that's not at all the case. And, I mean, they, they do a lot of really silly and ridiculous shit. I mean, they they grossly overestimate and, and overreport yeah. their their numbers. and Yeah. Yeah, they're, they do a lot of really shady so, things. Uh, can I – because I don't know how much longer we're going to go, but there's one thing that I kind of wanted to do, uh, and that's um, 
run through notes on my schedule in case people are, are listening who might want to oh, yeah. catch up with me somewhere other than here in Austin. Absolutely. Um, so uh, tonight, I'm on your show. <laughs> uh, <laughs> perfect. Then uh, How convenient first weekend for us. in September, September 3rd, I'm at a retreat, only they're calling it an advance rather than a treat retreat because they wanted to be clever. Uh, the Rationalists of East Tennessee. Um, I'll be doing that. And then uh, I have Apostacon September 17th in Omaha, Nebraska. And they are kind of starting over from scratch uh, because of problems related to uh, Sarah Moorhead and stuff, who's no longer with the organization. What? But, I've never heard anything of that. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Yeah. Um, yeah so let's talk about that for a while. <laughs> this is just, they're just trying to have a fun convention. So yeah. I'm not going up to give a talk. I'm going up to give an hour long magic show and JT's oh, nice. coming up to sing and it's, you know, we're going to have the, the same, uh, costume party and other stuff. So it's going to be more of a fun weekend than a lecture weekend. Okay. Um, so the weekend of September 24th is the ACA bat cruise here in Austin. So we have the largest metropolitan bat population in the world and we get together and go out on a boat and, drink and talk and watch the bats go out to feed hopefully the weather will hold out for you yeah it has almost every single year uh so evidently nobody's praying for it to rain on us <laughs> or at least there's not two people um october 2nd is the debate with matt slick in dallas and actually the day before that he's debating david smalley in dallas as well or maybe fort worth any uh, idea on when that will come out online for people to view Probably the Tuesday after the debate. I okay. get the footage that night, and I usually edit it the next day. Okay. Uh, also, they live stream them. So oh, that's sweet. pretty cool. That cool. Uh, then October 21st, I go up to Mythicist Milwaukee to do something I've always wanted to do. I'm going to be a moderator oh. at a debate between Bart Ehrman and Robert Price on whether or not Jesus existed. Oh, wow. Ah. I'm glad I'm it's not really on. looking forward to that. I yeah. get to be the moderator I've always wanted at debates. Awesome. <laughs> I'm glad Which it's not going to be on whether hate me. Yeah. I'm glad it's not going to be on whether Donald Trump would be a good president. <laughs> yeah. I, I didn't listen to that episode when David told me that, that price was going to come on and make that case. I was like, I won't listen to this until after the debate because I don't want to show up not liking Bob. Yeah, yeah, you should you should wait then. <laughs> I, I need to, I need to like both of them, which I currently do. And I'm, Pretty much about as impartial as you could find on that topic. Mm. Uh, yeah. Then the next day I fly to Kansas, uh, October 22nd, for Skeptics of Oz. Um, there's one or two other things happening. Um, November 6th, I'll be in Vancouver, Canada, an evening with Richard Dawkins, just the two of us sitting on stage asking each other questions and answering audience questions. Oh, awesome. awesome. That's very cool. Yeah, yeah it should be interesting. Um you know, Richard and I, I, I've emceed a few events for him. We've had dinner, but we're not close. Um, mm -hmm. And there are definitely things that we disagree on. And I, my hope is that, you know, if, if, if we don't get any questions about those topics, that's fine. But if we do, I want to use this as an opportunity to show that there are two people uh, who can disagree on mm -hmm. things, even strenuously, and still not say, oh, you're an evil jackass who you know, has no use in the movement. I, I, right. I, think, I, think, I don't think either of us are necessarily in that category. Uh, although I think there are some people who are. But uh, And then November 16th, what am I doing that day? Or 19th, sorry. Uh, are you asking me? I don't know. I'm asking Dan. November that, what? November 19th. Isn't that Utah? 
November 19th in Utah. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> really? Yes. So I'm in Utah <laughs> November 19th. What? Fantastic. Let me, I thought, <laughs> I'm so confused because I thought that was you. Uh, Maybe it is, and I've forgotten to dig because through my that, emails and I'm find getting, out who contacted you. Utah and where I'm going to be. Because I'm getting older. I mean, could that it, should happen. Could it be, thank God I'm atheist, Dan? Maybe. Are you uh, are you coming out for a podcast? Wow, I'm not finding it in my email. Oh wow! Well, if you already you got just the, dreamed about it, and now you should come out here anyway. If you already got well, the plane I, tickets, we can set something up. <laughs> I don't have plane tickets. I think what happened was somebody said, "Hey, would you be willing to come out and speak in Utah in November?" And we talked about dates, and I think I penciled in the nineteenth because there's no details about who's organizing it. So I may or may not be in Utah. <laughs> that seems <laughs> November nineteenth. I would oh, love man. to get you out here for sure, but yeah. yeah. We, you well, and I haven't. The dates already penciled in. I just I can't get away to two people. So <laughs> November nineteenth. Okay. Well, if if nobody else is going to step up and do that, I'll. <laughs> so I guess it's a good thing I went through my schedule because yeah. if you're in Utah and you arranged for me or wanted to arrange for me to come out on the nineteenth, <laughs> please contact me because I don't know who the fuck you are. <laughs> I, I, I made the mistake of penciling in the day and not putting any other details in, and I think it's because we didn't actually work out details yet. Uh, yeah, I imagine if it was our Dan, he would have said something to us about it, and we would all know about it. And that's why that was kind of surprising to everyone here. We all kind of looked at each other like, <laughs> "Yeah, I, I get, I get excited and geek out and and tell these guys things that are happening here before a lot of other people because I have to tell somebody other than Tracy." Yeah, so. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you, you know, I'm I'm really excited about what's coming up. Um, there's a couple other things. Um, Ohio State wants me to try to come up sometime before December. Um, there's two or three other like last-minute things where people are trying to fit in the schedule. I can't do – somebody wanted me to do something at the end of October, but I'm doing the Urban Price debate, then Skeptics of Oz in Kansas, and then the very next weekend is my anniversary. Mm. Uh, so I, I can't really yeah. do more in late October. But it's one of those things where when I look at the schedule – like a couple of years ago, it was just like convention, 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 and a few other local groups. And then there was the Australia trip, um, which was amazing in the in the time that we did with um, the Unholy Trinity. And this year, I didn't want to do as much. I wanted to get some more work done on the book, which I haven't actually gotten a ton of work done on the book because there's always something coming up. Mm. But when I look at the schedule, it's like, Hey, I get to go to a, a retreat with the Rationals of East Tennessee, and that's cool. I get to go do magic at Apostacon, which I'm doing more and more. I've been doing magic since I was three or four, and um, I, I'm doing more and more of it as kind of a second job, uh, which is great because that's one of the things I'd always wanted to do, mm -hmm. so it works out great. Uh, and I don't don't suck at it, so that's nice. <laughs> <laughs> but the, being a moderator at the debate for Bart Ryman and Robert Price I almost had to turn it down because I had another convention that weekend. But the people who are putting on Skeptics of Oz in Kansas were so amazingly easy to work with that they said, yeah, you can do this debate Friday night and then fly to our convention Saturday. Now, there's a lot of speakers wow. who go to conventions where they'll fly in the day that they're speaking, get up and talk, and then leave and I get that. I mean, everybody gets to make their own schedule. I don't like to do that. I, I want to be at the convention. I want to listen to what people are saying. Mm -hmm. I want to engage with – I want to be there. If somebody paid money uh, to come hear a bunch of us speak and they want 
you know, a few minutes of my time or if they want me to uh, annoy them with a magic trick or whatever, I want them to get what they want. <laughs> so I like to be at, at the convention the whole time. But this will be the first time I've kind of snuck in and snuck out from a convention, but it was just too big to pass up. I'm actually not to slight Dawkins in any way, but I'm actually more excited about moderating that urban price debate than, than the evening with Dawkins. Yeah. Uh, although I'm excited about both of them. Yeah. You got a lot of exciting things coming up and coming to Utah in November. That'll be, <laughs> that'll be awesome. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, if, if you can't figure out who that is, or, or even if you can, I would, I would love to know so that we can help, help them if nothing else. But, uh, yeah, I was going to talk to you a little bit more offline about coming out here sometime in the near future. Um, I, you know, I, I would love to, like I said earlier, you're one of my favorite speakers. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you and JT both are, are the two speeches that I most look forward to at any of the conventions where you, where either of you happen to be, where I am also attending. Um, mm-hmm. I think you both do a fantastic job there. Uh, well, we'll be at Apostacon. I know that. Awesome. Uh, before be fun, and well, and also before we let you go, we did have some uh, listener questions that were sent in that we haven't gotten around to asking you yet, and I would be I, remiss I am not, not in doing a crazy so. hurry, and I will try my best to give shorter answers uh, rather than a lecture for every question. <laughs> <laughs> you've been you've been amazingly generous with your time, so I just want to yeah, thank appreciate you. you that for that. Uh, yeah, thank you very awesome. much well, for having me. Uh, the first comes to us from listener Andy Faulkner, and she would like to know whether you foresee atheism ever becoming the majority here in America. Yes, but I can't possibly say when. I don't think it'll be a majority in my lifetime. I don't think religion's ever going to completely go away. But I think if I live, you know, like I have relatives live to be 100. If I make it to 80, 90, some, so in the next 40, 50 years, um, I think atheist normalcy will be a reality. Um and while it may not be a majority, it'll be a, the playing field will be a lot more leveled. I agree. Yeah, I mean, just when we look at the leaps and bounds that we've seen within the last five to ten years, there's there's no way that you can see that trend and not mm-hmm. and not imagine it continuing along those lines and just getting bigger and bigger for sure. Yeah, I mean, it, it could peak. You know, it could be. There's been a lot of speculation that the the younger generation is more atheistic, but maybe after they have kids and get older that they might then fall into religion, you know, that you may hit some tipping point where, uh, that's the case. I don't think so. I think reality wins out. I think the internet is, is killing off, uh, at least the more fundamentalist dogma and exposing, uh, the more rational aspects of, of religious belief to the point where I think people are going to be more liberal, moderate, I believe what I believe, you know, leave it at that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, next up, we've got a question from Kyle Steenblick and he wants to know, you've, you've kind of, you kind of touched on this a little bit, but he wanted to know if it, if it is frustrating to be viewed as an authority figure for atheists by other atheists. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes, yes. Um, I don't, I don't, I'm not an authority on anything other, other than what I think and barely an authority on that. I've disagreed with everybody, including myself. Um, I like the fact that I'm in a position where I can tell people what I think and why. And if they find it compelling, that's great. But no, in, by no means am I an authority, nor should you believe or accept something merely because I said so, or you heard me say it, or you heard any other speaker say it. 
uh, it you use me and the other speakers as a starting point, not an ending point. I think that's a good idea. He has he has kind of a two part follow up question. Uh, he he asks, would there be a benefit to having authority figures for atheists, and could we as a group operate in the poli- in the political theater? better with organized leadership through local and national atheist organizations? I, I'm kind of of two minds of this. Um, I, I don't think it, what you need is authority figures. I think what you need is uh, representatives who are clearly, you know, so that, like, okay, take, for example, we try to label everything. We try to put it in a box. Mm-hmm. Uh, all the fighting about, for example, feminism. And, and sorry to do this at the at the end, but I won't dip off into the into the deep end here. Feminism is a label that combines a lot of different positions and a lot of different views. There's no authority on what feminism is, and so what I've asked people is to demonstrate this: what is the feminist position on pornography? Because if you ask Sansara Taylor or Tasleem Nazreen, they are vehemently anti-porn. And if you ask Greta Christina, she's not. She's a former sex worker. She edits a porn magazine. So it's clear there's no one true position on porn for feminists. And that's going to be true across the board. And so the mistake that we make is to say, oh, you associate with this label. And I heard somebody else who associates with that label has this position, which I find, you know, bizarre and repugnant, and therefore I'm going to write you off. That is the that is the mistake we make when we start working towards like atheist leaders. Instead, I would like to see atheist organizations like Council for Secular Humanism, where they have position statements, same as Atheist Community Boston does, and members of the group don't have to adhere or agree to every single position statement, same as I don't agree with everything in the Republican platform or the Democratic platform. It's just I agree with one of them more than the other. So you can't right. say all Democrats are, all Republicans are, all Greens are. You can't say all feminists are. And right. similarly, you can't say all atheists are. But if you have an atheist or a secular organization that is working towards church-state separation, that is working towards atheist normalcy, um, you can have other issues wrapped up in there. You can have social justice issues in there as well without ruining the mission. It's not mission drift to talk about more than that. But as soon as we start having, this is the authority on what the, the, like um, the, the, the political party that they tried to start. That was the, the, the atheist political the, party. Yeah, I would object to that right party. off the bat. Yeah. Uh, it, you know, so you don't need authorities. What you need are organizations that are generalized representations of a particular community and you can be a member of multiples and you can completely disagree with community a on 20 points and still work with them on the other five. Yeah. And I, I'm, I'm very tired of people seeking, uh, ideological purity from, from people that they can agree on 99.9% of everything and they'll have one minor disagreement, and then they're immediately written off. I think that's, I think that's I, bullshit. Yeah, I completely agree. I will say that there are, there are some exceptions, which I'm not going to dive into, where somebody, some individual, who I agree with on 90% of positions, holds other positions that are so repugnant and so damaging that while I'll still agree with them on the other 90%, I cannot possibly work with them or associate with them. Um, yeah, you know, 
there was there was this guy on Twitter. I'll just use him as an example because I don't know anything about him other than this. He's an atheist who was advocating for um, sex with minors, trying to claim that you know That's what young, young children up. could give consent. Now he and I might agree on a bunch of things, but I will never work with that individual because I cannot have I cannot be associated with somebody who's so awfully That's- wrong. And just socially rejectable uh, on on that. Yikes. Yeah, yeah, I I would completely Some agree that with that. Agrees with Nambla. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm I'm strongly opposed to Nambla. Um, and and I, you know, I would probably have a debate with somebody about it if I didn't, you know, if I wasn't of the mind that I don't even want to give any attention to. Yeah. <laughs> uh, one of our. Uh, uh, listeners who has served in the armed forces uh, said to ask you about your military service. This, uh, this is from Nuvi Brown. He says, ask him about his military service. I know he was in the Navy, but nothing beyond that. So I'm guessing they oh, want to know, yep. like, how long were you in? What, you know, what, what did you do in the Navy? That kind of stuff. Sure. I was in the Navy for about eight and a half years. Um, I joined right out of high school, went in the nuke program, did boot camp in Orlando, I uh, went through electronics technician A school and was halfway through power school when I was kicked out for oversleeping <laughs> and ended up out in the fleet as a bosun's mate, which I loved. And uh, I did, uh, I, I was on aircraft carrier for four or five years. I worked with uh, the CBs, Amphib, or, uh, Fib CB2, the amphibious battalion uh, out of Little Creek right next to SEAL Team 6, I think it was. And, um, I was in from 87 ish to 95 or so, and then moved to Austin, uh, because I didn't have any real job prospects and I liked computers and a friend of mine from the Navy lived here and worked for Dell. So I came down here to, to do that for a number of years. And now I'm a professional godless heathen and a part-time <laughs> professional magician. And we love you for it. So why, why eight and a half years where you just wanted to do something else i uh you, you always sign up for eight years even though you might do like four active and four yeah. inactive huh. um if you'd go in the nuke program which i did you, you're six active two inactive right off the bat i re-enlisted at the four-year mark and i re-enlisted at the eight-year mark but i ended up uh i was honorably discharged both times but i ended up getting a medical discharge under honorable circumstances uh because i can't run I'm, yeah. I'm no good at running. Uh, it's kind of funny because if I had stayed in and had been physically fit to stay in, I would have retired um, nine years ago. <laughs> 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 or or, or I, I could have retired nine years ago. I might have stayed in a little bit longer. But even if I'd have done 30, I'd be getting out You know, this year, next year. <laughs> it's so weird to think think like that and you know i have friends um who i went to nuke school with who are retired now yeah it's strange i mean military is what 20 years and then you can retire 20 years active duty yeah yeah it's 20 years active duty um and there are exceptions where you can like i could have retired at 15 i was uh, i was an e5 and one of the reasons that i wasn't keen on passing the pt to stay in is i had aced the test for e6 four times in a row and was still 300 there were 350 people in front of me because the navy was just crowded i was in during desert shield desert storm and, and all that stuff 
Um, I enjoyed it. I was also a believer while I was in, so um, I can't even really comment on what it's like to be an atheist in a foxhole because that happened after I got out. Hmm. All right. Uh, I say we'll say that the Navy was critical in my transition from believer to non-believer, but I didn't realize it at the time. And the way in which it was critical is not only did I get to explore the world, but I had to live in close, close quarters. I was, you know, the LPO for 30 guys in first division. You had to learn how to get along with people who didn't necessarily agree with you. And you were exposed to people of a whole bunch of different religious views. And that, that is, it's hard to overstate the significance of that when most people uh, are raised in a particular religion and don't ever get challenged on it and don't have to deal too much with people who don't agree. Yeah, I served just over eight years in the military as well. And I was an atheist going into the military, but when I was in the military, it's like, wow, there's a lot of religious people around like asking like, hey, let's do a prayer circle. Let's pray before this, pray before this. So I came into it the mindset of like, this is weird. Like, yeah. I'm not used to this at all. Well, if you want to talk about uh, non-belief in the military, uh, there's both Jen Peoples, who you know is on the TV show with me, uh, is really good on that subject. But mm-hmm. there's also a guy uh, here in Austin who's a retired Army colonel, I think. His name's uh, Oak DeBerg, and he's given two lectures to our organization on what he saw and dealt with uh, everything from like, you know, the problems at the air force Academy, um, because it, the Navy and, and, and other military branches went through some changes similar to what the country went through mm. to where, uh, the evangelicals decided here is our next point of attack. Let's get in there and let's take over. And we saw massive problems with the Air Force Academy and all sorts of other things. But I'm, I have no expertise in that area. I was, I was a, a believer mm-hmm. and I got out. If you have questions, comments, concerns, compliments, corrections, or concepts for content, contact the show via email at godlessrevolution at gmail.com, by text or voicemail at 330-81-REBEL, or Twitter the Twatter at TGI Podcast. Thanks, bitches. We've got one last question for you. This comes to us from listener Beth Mitchell Contreras. And she she writes in to say, if he could use only one argument to convince the most people that atheism is the way to go, what would it be? See, here's the problem. <laughs> is, is that this portrays atheism as if it's a thing, uh-huh. as if it's positing something positive. Um. And, and I, I view atheism as synonymous with non-theism primarily. But you can still make an argument for it, and that is you and I both agree that we are alive and we have this life. We need to do whatever we can to focus on this life. Religions want you to focus on what's coming in the next life, which you don't have any good reason to think is real or true. And until religions change, most of them, to focus on this life, you're better off ditching all of them, being intellectually honest and saying, if there is some kind of being, how could it possibly punish me justly for using my brain and saying, I don't have enough reason to believe that. And instead I'm going to focus on the one and only life that I know I'm going to get. And if it turns out you're wrong and you are punished by some being, then that being is a fucking monster that wasn't deserving of any respect or worship anyway. Mm-hmm.
I wholeheartedly agree. Good answer. Matt Delahunty, thank you so much for your time tonight. You've been very generous with it. Uh, we oh, really, thanks. really, really appreciate you coming on the show and talking to us tonight. I uh, want to thank you for all you're doing for the secular community. Mm-hmm. Uh, is there anything else you'd like to pitch before we let you go? Um, well, my wife would kick me if I didn't. So uh, <laughs> I'm now a full-time godless heathen, and the way that I pay my bills is through Patreon. Um, I don't tend to advertise it a lot. It's going pretty well, but... All of the content that I produce outside of the atheist experience is available for free to the world. You can go to patreon.com slash atheist debates, um, and that'll all the content's there. You can see it on YouTube channel. If it's something you feel like supporting, you know, you can come in and say, hey, I'll give you a dollar a video or whatever. Um, and it's all greatly appreciated. And you know, the community has been overwhelmingly supportive of this transition from software guy who does atheism part-time to constant full-time production of educational uh, and debate-related material for for atheism. So whether you're a supporter or not, uh, thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for watching. Uh, Thank you especially to the the people who have supported it. But I don't ever want to be in this position of, oh, give me money. So the content's available to everybody. And so if there's some question you have that wasn't uh, addressed tonight or a topic you wanted to hear about there's a, uh, at least some chance that i've covered it and if i haven't you can email me and it'll probably end up in a video there later awesome fantastic well thank you once again matt and thank you all for listening we'll have to have you back on sometime maybe november, november maybe november when you come out to visit <laughs> <laughs> we'll see <laughs> all right well thanks a lot matt sure well i think that went very well yes that was awesome I cannot overstate how thankful I am. How thankful I am. Did I say that right the first time? It sounded you weird did. in my you head. You decided to say it twice. Okay. I cannot overstate how thankful I am for Matt uh, being so generous with his time. And no problem. Spending a couple hours with us on the phone and talking yeah. about a bunch of fun stuff, man. I didn't really talk a lot because I didn't know what to say. I'm like, I'm just kind of enthralled with what. Yeah, I prefer to listen to, to our guests and hear what they're saying. I mean, <laughs> if if I wanted to hear myself talk, I wouldn't have guests on. So. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't like to hear myself talk anyways. Yeah. No, you do. It's weird. Sometimes. It's weird. <laughs> What's weird are the things you fucking say, man. Well, true, but. Uh, <laughs> and I think. Mean, <laughs> and think and do and wear. <laughs> You're weird. But like Matt, Matt brings like the serious side, like get angry stuff. Dan, you bring like I was the, pretty fiery last week. Y- y- you were, but yeah. you you bring more of the let's be let's be honest about this, and I bring the more let's just get fucking weird. <laughs> you ready to get weird, man? <laughs> let's <laughs> let's make someone go. What the fuck did he just say? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I hope you all had a good time. I hope you enjoyed the interview. Um, we will chat at you all next week when we will have author Michael Rupp on the show with us. Very really interesting story. Yeah, it's very cool. I'm not going to give too much away about it. Because um, we want you to listen. Yeah. But it's a very exciting thing. You can do a Google search for author and Michael and Rupp. That's R-U-P-P. And you'll find out some information that I had no idea was part of his backstory when I invited him to be a guest on the show. And now we're going to NPR the shit out of him. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me about this. No, I'm really looking forward to it. That should be a whole lot of fun. He's a really, really cool guy. 
Uh, and we will have him, him in studio. Correct. He's local, so he will be here in studio. And I've already sent him a message asking him what kind of pizza he <laughs> likes. So we'll be we'll be getting that next week. Dan a is bit the hostest with the mostest. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for tuning in, everybody. We will chat at you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.
I don't know. I've never been to one, but I just have a feeling it would make me sad. You've never been to a You've strip club? You've never been to a strip club? No. We used to go to strip clubs so often, they would ask us what songs we wanted on as we walked in. <laughs> I'm serious about that. <laughs> you had your own entrance music? One of the guys at work is colorblind, and I was taking him through that in Chroma Glass's website. Uh-huh. And he did their colorblind test. And I'm watching him do it. I'm like, how the fuck do you not see a number there? I'm like, it's bright fucking like orange. How do you not fucking see that? He's like, I can't see anything. Yeah. And then he's marking ones. I'm like, dude, there, you know there's no number there. Like, yeah, there was. There was an eight on there. I'm like, no. No, there wasn't. 